But the big success is not done from the homesteading. It's done in selling the idea. It's done in selling the dream. It's done in selling the experience. My bakery business has gone up once I bought a, uh, a baker's chef jacket and started wearing that. It's something unusual and caught people's attention. But yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> you have to sell it. Welcome to Thriving the Future podcast, where we're finding positive solutions to thrive in the tough times ahead. Before we get to the episode, I want to tell you about GrownNutTrees.com. So I forage local chestnuts here in Northeast Kansas. I sell them as untreated seeds that can be planted so you could grow out your own trees. And I still have one-year seedlings, which are 10 to 18 inches tall. It's really hard to find chestnuts that will grow in the Midwest because most of them are grown in either the Southeast, the Northeast, or even worse, the Pacific Northwest. And those just don't do well in Kansas. So these are adapted to the Midwest. Also, elderberry cuttings are coming soon. That's at GrowNutTrees.com. So we're talking with the Homestead Padre from Twitter. Padre, how are you doing tonight? Good. How are you guys doing? Good. So give us a little background about yourself and the Smith Homestead. I've been homesteading for about 11 years now, full-time for going on. Mm-hmm. We, uh, we, we started out business-wise in 2016 after watching some documentaries on uh, chemicals in our, in our everyday lives. That's transitioned to from just doing something for the family to I now have the whole website. Great. Yeah, I saw that. That's a smith-homestead.com. You've got candles. You've got handicrafts. Looks like you got some hot sauce. Where's the hot sauce come from? Do you make that yourself? I, I do not. FDA regulations do not allow me to make it myself. So I hire a company, but it is my recipes. So yeah, one of the things I thought was interesting was the uh, the plague, plague doctor essential oil. What's yeah. the story behind <laughs> that? All right, so it is a copy of the, the thieves oil. I don't. I, that's a more popular name that most people know. But thieves oil is a copyrighted name. Mm-hmm. So we had to go with something different. And I don't know if you know the, the little story behind thieves. It goes back to the Middle Ages and the Black Plague. Three thieves that were going around digging up graves of people that had died of the, of the plague, stealing the gold and the valuables out of it. But they never got sick. So when they were finally caught and arrested, um, they cut a deal with them that uh, their death would be quicker and less painful if they would or divulge the, the recipe. So that, that's all legend. I don't know how much historical facts in that. That's how thieves oil came to be, and plague oil is just just a carbon copy of it, a different name. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, I read somewhere that that uh, plague doctor, that mask that they used to put some sort of fragrant oil or something in the mask too, because they believed that that fragrance would filter out the, the um, disease or whatever. Right. Yeah. So, filter out the bad air. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to talk a little bit about adversity and uh, basically how to find meaning in a soul crushing world. If you haven't met uh, Perpin here, um, Perpin and I <laughs> have been on the podcast here for about a year. And Perpin's a frequent guest. It sounds like you've been having uh, some challenges here lately. You were talking about having to go get a job off of the homestead, right? How's that going? Um, I actually have a job lined up for me beginning in January. It's a work from home position, so I'll still be here on the homestead because I homeschool my kids and everything. Right. That's cool. So, um, that works out for me. And but this year has been a, a rough year for the homestead. What kind of adversity have you seen this year? And, and what's your tips for dealing with it? Most of mine has been 
on the financial front. Sales are down all the way across the board. Supply costs are up. The economy gets worse and inflation rises more. People are spending less and less. I think my product is still considered a luxury by a lot of people. For, for me, it's a necessity because, you know, all the chemicals and some store malt soaps and whatnot. But right. um, until I crossed that threshold, we're, we're kind of there. I, I started a cottage operation bakery this year. That's done really well. But there's only so much I can do from my kitchen with one oven. Okay. So I haven't been able to grow that as much as I would like to. As far as dealing with it, a, a lot of time in prayer, a lot of time in fasting. Look like on your Substack that you had some thieves break in back in April. Yes, they cut my fence, stole some of my baby gets too cheap, and uh, that was a that was a financial hit too. You know, all the all the animals are are income in one way, shape, or form. How many animals did you lose in that? Uh, I've lost five animals this year so far. Mm-hmm. Total it up, depending on what. I would I would use them for how I'd make the money from them. You know, I'm, I'm anywhere from a thousand six thousand dollars out, just in that aspect, and that that doesn't even include repairing what was damaged. That doesn't include replacing the animals that were lost. That that's just lost income from those animals. Sure. You sell at the farmers market your uh, crafts and your candles and stuff as well. Yes, we have a, a weekly booth that we do. Um, in the spring, we are expanding to two different markets. So my wife will be working the one we've been going to, and I'll be working the new one. So what kind of challenges have you seen this year in the uh, in the farmer's market land? Uh, just, again, people not wanting to spend money like they used to. Right. Um, even, even the vegetable vendors, they're going home every week with product where they used to not in years past. Mm-hmm. So um, that that's helped me. I got a kitty pool full of uh, corn for 20 bucks earlier this year. That was... <laughs> That made 22 quarts, quart jars full, but I got the can off of that. So that was, that was nice for the pantry. Wow. Yeah. But uh, I hate seeing it all the way around. Yeah, Perpin, you, you were selling at the farmer's market there for a while, and you had similar challenges, right? But I, I think the markets in our areas just don't have the customers. It's a big slog, and unless you're selling stuff that didn't do me any good to eat. I mean, you know, I knew people that did like gluten-free breads or desserts and stuff, but they ate the surplus as their stuff for the week. Right. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't going to work for me. One, I'm not a good baker and two, that wasn't anything I was eating. (laughs) Yeah. I have whole loads of bread in the freezer. Yeah. What we found was that if you had vegetables and stuff like that, then they'd argue with you why they weren't the same price as the store. My favorite was that they could get a salad cheaper at McDonald's. Ha. Huh. And it's like, well, yeah, I'm not competing with McDonald's. I mean, you know, I'm not trying to sell you a dollar salad. I get the same thing. I charge five dollars for a loaf of white bread, just plain white bread. Yeah, well, I can buy this for two dollars at six. No, no, they can't. Like, no, the stuff you bought at the grocery store wasn't made this morning. <laughs> there is a big disconnect between what real food is and what people buy at the store and the ability to even have that conversation and educate them as the world changes. I mean, you used to be able to talk about facts of a situation or something, but in a new world where what I feel is truth, every time you challenge 
their truth, you challenge their very existence because it's now I feel, therefore I am instead of I think, therefore I am. Very valid point. It's, it's no longer facts don't care about your feelings. It's feelings don't care about your facts. <laughs> At this point, if you're going to educate somebody, you have to start with that feelings problem, right? You have to educate their feelings. And I, it's a world I don't know how to live in. I have begun in the last two months handing out wires. I'm lucky I get them printed for free, educating people about why my bread's better than what they buy at the grocery store. Sure. And I get some people that's really receptive. I get some people that really don't care. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would like to see the organic, homegrown, homemade market grow, but I'm, I'm in the deep south and we're not really needing to be healthy down here. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, it's slow. Uh, I see farmer markets on the rise in my area, more and more popping up, more and more people going. Um, I, I'm hoping the corner is turned sometime in the near future. What does a farmer's market look like down in your area? Because, I mean, the most successful ones here are more entertainment than they are products and health. Um, there's not much for entertainment here at, at any of them, I don't think. And by entertainment, um, I mean, they kind, of, they kind of want to go, they want to buy the pop popcorn, they want to buy a fancy drink, they want a breakfast radio, and they want to chat with people and they want to walk up and down. They want to look at interesting knickknacks and handicrafts, but they don't really want to buy anything. They want just this entertainment experience thing, not healthful food or an improved life. Interesting. I would say that's accurate for here for the most people. Our most successful markets are the markets where we can talk a food truck into coming that weekend. We, we, we call him the kettle corn guy. He comes out every now and then and sets up and, and cooks kettle corn right out there for everybody. We bring people in that way. So it's almost like uh, we're, we're piggybacking off of the food guys or the entertainment guys that you're talking about. So when they don't show up, it's uh, it can be pretty slow. Our candles and soaps have just about died to nothing this year. The bakery is really what's kept us going. After seven months, I'm going up seven months now, we're now starting to get regulars. They come every weekend just, just for the bread. Then a building experience. I've almost given up a couple times where you bring home pretty much everything you took. Mm -hmm. And it's very disheartening. Uh, just $200 in ingredients out the window. You know, wrap it in aluminum foil and stick it in the freezer for later. Right. So they don't have the same requirements on baking and baked goods than they than they do on uh, sauces and and vegetables, you know, and cook stuff, right? In Mississippi, it's called cottage walls. Right. Um, a lot of states have some more cabin walls, cottage walls, whatever they call it. Mississippi's pretty lax in what they allow. Mm -hmm. um, that's how I'm getting rid of the bakery. Um, there's still certain things I cannot do. I cannot sell fruit pies or anything like that. Um, my hot sauces, I, I have hot sauces that are not on my website. I do make them myself and I do sell them at the market. Wow. Um, selling online crosses into federal jurisdiction because it's interstate now. Sure. But yeah. That's what I'm doing. So yeah, if you sell it online, then it goes across straight fast. lines and then things yeah, like straight breaking bread yeah, or sense. things without eggs, which is hard in the baking world or the fruits and stuff. Those are pretty open, but yeah, it can get complicated.
Mississippi's good about allergens and foods. I just have to have a label with the allergens listed on it. Mm-hmm. I, I do have labeling requirements. I have to follow. Soap is if if you want to sell soap online, and, and I see people on, on Etsy and other places get away with it, and and I know it's just because they haven't been caught. I cannot do anything to label it as old fashioned soap. I can tell you what scent it is, but I cannot tell you if I have a goat's milk soap or a skin moisturizing. I cannot put skin moisturizing on there because at that point it becomes a uh, uh, light makeup and stuff, cosmetics. And once it becomes a cosmetic, there's a there, there's 20 pages of rules you have to follow at that point. Right. So it's, it's it can one be of a my pain. favorite ones was learning in our area that all those ladies that had goats could sell me goat's milk, but they could not tell me they had goat's milk. And they cannot put a sign by the road. They cannot say it on Facebook or they'll get shut down. But if I went to any of them and said, hey, I saw you had goats on Facebook. Can I get some goat's milk? The answer would have probably been yes, because they had excess goat's milk, but they couldn't tell anybody they had it because they're not a grade A dairy. Right. It's that's almost like the raw milk laws, right? It, it, I was about to talk. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, Mississippi does not allow raw milk from a cow. Um, they do allow it from a goat, but mm-hmm. not for human consumption. So when I buy raw goat's milk, um, it, it has to say on the label, not for human consumption, even though that's what we're, we're all buying for it. But uh, the, the goat owner could, I mean, tens of thousands of dollars in buys. Right. Yeah, like somebody will say, it's a. Uh, I've I've heard some people that they put on there that it's a garden fertilizer and not for human consumption. Yeah, and Candace, it's perfectly legal to sell it. it. You just can't tell anybody you have the product. Makes it all feel futile. Mm-hmm. It's hard to work around. Like you, Mississippi, when it comes to meat, I sell some of my goods for meat. Um, there are certain customers, especially in the Hispanic population. Um, I'm not allowed to process and sell processed meat. Sure. Um, it has to go to a USDA regulated facility. The nearest one to me is like two and a half hours away. And you have to pay the facilitator to process everything. And then you have to pay another two, two more fees. And then you come back and then you can sell it. But in Mississippi, I can sell you the goat and then, uh, teach you how to butcher the goat on my own property. Right. So uh, there, there's workarounds and loopholes, and I actually hired a lawyer, or not hired a lawyer, I, I called a lawyer and talked to him about it. And, and he's like, yeah, he goes, as long as uh, the customer is the one holding the knife, right? you know, you're good. Yeah, we have... So uh, it's, uh, go ahead, sorry. I was going to say, so it's, uh, there's, there's little loopholes and workarounds, but you really got to work to find them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have a, my wife has a friend who has goats and she sells them to the Muslim folks over in Kansas City and then they do the slaughter. I don't know where it's at, whether they do it right there or they just take the goat. But yeah, she makes she makes quite a bit of money off of that whole halal, you know, um, dietary restrictions they have. So. Our, our Muslim population is growing in the area. There's been recently a demand for camel's milk. 
there is one guy in the state that has camels and sells camels. There's no laws on the book on camels. And um, I talked to my wife that they wasn't ten thousand dollars a camel. You know, uh, they're getting three four hundred dollars a gallon for that stuff. Wow, and camel's milk is also lactose free. Um, right. Given that it's such a highly regulated and hard to navigate, and you're always looking for the loopholes, what are the benefits you find from being a homesteader and trying to deal with the public? That's that's tricky because there's sometimes I wish I didn't have to deal. <laughs> No, so it's, I enjoy teaching um, what I know and what I do. And uh, when, when it comes to dealing with the public, a lot of it has become, I, I just like showing them things, teaching them about things. And again, it comes back to trying to, to get that corner to turn, make people start appreciating things more. Um, I, I did a lecture not too long ago at community college on it. And it's uh the only benefit, this is going to sound terrible. The only benefit to me I see is um, I can help make my community better. Um, so there's not a lot of personal benefit. Yeah, I, yeah. I can see that. I think the other part of it is that it is also very rewarding if you can make it work to be make the homestead pay for itself but not even that just the activities that you do on your homestead make living worthwhile they invigorate invigorate and build up your soul rather than just pulverize it oh that, yeah there's definitely that benefit um, there, there's some days i come outside and i work in the garden I can't believe what I'm doing, for, you know, for a living, and I love it. But it it brings its own set of stresses too. Sure. Um, I, I taught an online course back over the summer, and one of the things I emphasized because it was all people that was wanting to, to build their own homesteads and eventually make it to where I'm at. And everybody was talking about a lot of people are into their own software development or trying to move into homesteading. Um, which I have a theory on that, but um, you're talking about the stresses of deadlines and the stresses of work and bosses and all this and that. And I was like, well, they say, well, you know, it seems so much more carefree, so so, so little stress, which you do. And I was like, well, you say that, but I have to worry about bald eagles taking chickens, and I have to worry about getting crops brought in at the right time. I have to worry about getting seeds started at the right time. I have to worry about feeds filling my animals. Um, I have to worry about a fungus coming across and wiping out my cucumbers. You know, it's it's a whole. You're trading one stress for another stress, I and mean, it's all still there. But compared to when I was in the corporate world, I I will say this is much more rewarding. So how do you how do you deal with some of the adversity? What's your what's some of your tips? It really comes down to my faith. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't really have another answer for that. Like, if a crop fails, um, there's prayer involved. There's a probably a confession that needs to be given. 
and uh, you pull the crop and keep going. You can't stop working. You can't give up on something. If, uh, if it's a fungus, well, it's in your soil. You got to work your soil and condition it and try to get rid of that fungus. Sure. So you just you, you can't stop. There's no stopping. There's no rest days. I work 40 hours a week in the corporate world. I work 90 hours a week in the corporate world. Um, it just it doesn't stop, and you can't stop or or you fail, and uh, failure is not an option for me. Sure. So, so what does success look like? Success for me, I'm, I'm a very simple person. My kids are fed and my bills are paid. And that, that's success. That's great. So, Perpin, what are your, uh, what are some of your tips for dealing with adversity? I'm actually in a strange place at the moment. Um, <laughs> I can't even define adversity at the moment. I, I'm learning that there's true adversity and there's the complexity that I personally add to the situation. And that complexity looks like an adversary or it looks like adversity. And it's really me just choosing the complicated over the simple. And then I'm also in a position where I am, I, I moved from the eight acres out in the middle of nowhere to the inner city because of that hour and a half to 45 minute drive to be at church, right? And to be involved with the parish. And that's, it's a whole new adversity all on its own, right? I mean, I am disconnected from a lot of the things that used to provide that lack of soul crushing experience, right? But I'm finding my soul, my only solace being the church and being a part of that community and that acknowledgement but i i don't know how to deal with adversity because my answer had always been to double down apply my will stubborn my way through it right and that's not actually an option anymore because my faith has changed right my, my faith is different it is not a magic formula where my prayer equals success or I just need to pray harder or I need to repent harder or I need to fast longer or because that's not what it's about. And that's not what works. What works is completely surrendering to God's will, which is a whole new thing. So yeah, I don't have tips yet. I'm learning a whole new way to face it. It's easier. It's simpler. It's harder. How do you do it, Scott? Well, yeah, I deal with it a lot of the same way, the prayer rule, but also trying to not think too far ahead. So especially at work where everything is, doesn't seem like it's going to get done on time, but what do I have to do today? And then the things that, like I said, when I was on with Matt at Farm Hop Life, I mean, I go out, I work from home. So I go out from lunch and I water the garden. And then the Kansas sunset, and that makes a huge difference. Instead of driving into the sun on the way to work and driving into the sun on the way back, because if I worked in Kansas City, it was always it was always in your face both ways. Scott, I think that's a that's a great that's a great example. On the homestead, there's never just one problem. There's three problems. Right. 
that's something over the last two and a half, three years I've learned is I have to face one problem at a time. Instead of working on this and worrying about the other two, I need to worry and focus on this, and then I can go to the next one. And I, I think that's made a big difference in uh, facing these problems as they come along. You sure. know, whether it's whether it's a a sickness through the herd or bills I can't pay. You know, it's you got to focus on one thing at a time. You, you can't. You, you, you have to prioritize and a little uh, little battlefield triage. Oh yeah, yeah. That's a that's a great analogy using the triage. Yeah, another thing that really helps me is that I've been at the job for so long that when something comes up, like oh yeah, we're gonna have to work the week the next three weekends in a row. It's like everybody's freaking out, and I'm like, yeah, I've done that before. It's not the end of the world. <laughs> so it's a little bit easier to take because I've seen the crazy of the crazy in the corporate world. And so you really can't surprise me too much anymore. I think I saw, or I heard on one of the podcasts that you were on that you got doxxed as well at one point. Yes. Yeah. Tell yeah, us a little bit about that, was, that. I don't know if any of y'all know the name Roman McClay or not. No. Uh, he wrote a series, a three book series called sanction. And it was this, dark fantasy novel, dark fiction novel. And uh, and it was, Roman was a guy with a lot of problems, and he wrote those books kind of as a self-therapy to get the things out of his head. And he'd been rough life with drugs and women in prison. So anyway, when uh, all that came out, I own all three books. I've read them. It's I can't read them again now that I've deepened my faith. But um, read them. I talked to the author a few times. We interacted back and forth on Twitter and uh, publicly, and and that was kind of it. Um, last December, he right after Christmas, he he lived out his books. He murdered the people in real life that he murdered in his books. I don't know if y'all remember the, the shootings in Denver right after Christmas last year. Um, that was him. And, and that was, he, he died the way he died in his book, shot by the cops, not in a shootout with the police. And um, so after all that happened, and, you know, we're in this society of cancel culture, right? So I, I want to I preface all that with I haven't talked to the guy in two years prior to him going on this rampage. I mean, it's been a while. Sure. But because I had interaction with him in the past, I was, I was put on a docs list. There's a, a crowdsourced website in Germany. Hmm. Me and 300 and some odd people made this list. And me having a business, it wasn't hard to figure out my phone number and my address and, and all that other stuff. So it was a whole... Uh, for lack of better terms, it was a crap show from cancel culture based off of an interaction from two years prior. Wow. It was rough. I went I went anonymous on my account for a little while. Uh, disconnected myself from my business anywhere on social media. Um, paid to have all my, my business stuff privatized so you couldn't just go online and find my 
uh, LLC registry with the state or anything like that. Wow. It was a mess. It cost me a lot of money to regain my privacy. and went from bothered and trying to distance myself and regain this to, to I really just, you know, they're, they're, they're not going to stop. The people calling the Smith Homestead and talking to, quote, unquote, the manager telling them I need to be fired when I, they were talking to me on the phone. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, I just, sometime around July, I was like, you know what, it doesn't matter anymore. I made all my, put my face back on my profile picture and tagged my business back on my profile and just went from there. It, it is, it is blown over. Knock on wood. I haven't heard anything in two, three months now, but, uh, it was, it was bad. I don't, I don't recommend it to anybody. Wow. That's amazing. So what, uh, what tips would you give to someone so that, uh, to avoid some of that, right? Is there, is, I don't there, know is there any I way know. to get through that too, without just writing it through? I, I really, I, I really don't think there is. I mean, I call the police department, I call lawyers, mm-hmm. I call all kinds of people and everybody is kind of like, well, your info is out there now. It was righted out. I really had to adopt the mindset that I didn't care. You know, it was easier for me that I worked for myself. Um, I, I know it's probably harder for people when they work for somebody and that somebody's getting you phone calls. Sure. So, uh, doxing's no longer just exposing somebody's personal information. Doxing now is hand in hand with cancel culture. They, they want to ruin your life. Right. And, um, yeah, it's kind of just ride it out. I think we're going to see a lot of that here with uh, just the purging. And then they want specific KYC type ID on Twitter and, and everything else. It's going to it's gonna run a bunch of folks off. Yeah, I'm, I'm already looking at moving all my content to Substack. Right. So, yeah, so uh, talk a little bit about your Substack. Um, so I, I've played with the newsletter off and on for a couple of years now mm-hmm. and uh, I have a couple of podcast episodes on there, just, just short little things. So I've, I used to do a, a Smith Homestead podcast, um, but I've been considering bringing that back. I'm moving my content to Substack, moving everything to Substack. I'm putting it behind a paywall. If they want to box me again, they're going to have to pay to do it. And that's at uh, padre.substack.com. Bonus question. So what, uh, what what uh, holiday story do you have? Holiday story. My favorite personal holiday story. Two years ago, we went to South Carolina to visit my sister-in-law. And we got there at our hotel. They lost our booking. Couldn't get a room anywhere that was in a hotel that I felt was in a safe enough area. So we ended up going to Academy Sports buying a tent, sleeping bags, things like that. And, and we, we camped Thanksgiving week in a national forest in South Carolina. It was cold and it snowed a little one night and, and a cold rain the next day. And it was kind of miserable, but it was kind of really fun too. You know, the kids had a blast. I had a blast. My wife, not so much, but she doesn't like cold weather. Yeah. I think that's probably my favorite is the middle of a national forest in South Carolina at Thanksgiving. Yeah, that's great. So one of uh, our uh, go, go ahead. ahead. Sorry. 
No, go ahead. I was just going to say, uh, never mind. My train of thought derailed. <laughs> yeah. So you were actually doing classes on your homestead, right? Or yes. you did an online class? I've, I've done online classes. I've taught a couple of classes here on the property. And, mm -hmm. uh, I've given a, a lecture at community college, one of the local community colleges. Right. Yeah, that reminds me, Perpin, that reminds me of Yardbird's quote from last week where homesteading is not profitable, but selling homesteading is. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty well. I think that's where it's at. I think if people want to make money from their homestead, they are going to have to sell it and market that lifestyle that everybody thinks they want. If you're going to make money at the farmer's market, you have to be the guy selling the popcorn or the guy providing the experience. You have to be the guy that's, yeah, you got some bread there. Yeah, you got the handy calves. You have whatever the latest fancy coffee is or something. You've got to look at it as, I am not providing nutrition. I am not, I'm entertaining. Mm -hmm. And find yeah, your niche in that to keep, draw the people in. So to sell some of the other stuff, the big success is not done from the homesteading. It's done in selling the idea. It's done in selling the dream. It's done in selling the experience. And it's done teaching the skills. If you could, if well. you could bring the goats and have a petting zoo right next to the goat's milk and the goat's milk soap and the bread, you've got something. But right, yeah. The thing at the farmers market that. Carpenter and I are used to the most popular things this year have been tamales, the tamale lady and a lady bringing bundles of flowers. So bouquets of flowers with really, really weird type of flowers and, and things that I've never seen before. So to the point where I had to get out plant the plant identifier app and look at them to see what kind of, what are these? These are weird. I know another guy, um, He's up in North Carolina. He's started doing food pages at farmers markets this year. He's making a killing. And it's funny you mentioned the tamale lady, but we have a tamale lady at our market too. She's she's wildly popular. And then uh yeah, as far as uh putting on a show, um my bakery business has gone up once I bought a uh a baker's chef jacket and started wearing that. This is something unusual and caught people's attention. But yeah, yeah. That's to, awesome. Yeah, you, you have to sell it. Um uh, the, the most successful quote homesteaders that I've seen are people with very popular blogs or very popular YouTube channels. Mm -hmm. um, they, they sell it. They're, they're letting people live vicariously through them. Yeah. And people pay for that. It, it's, it goes back to that word entertainment. People want to be entertained. It's something I'm trying to embrace uh, moving into 2003. We, we got some ideas on just making it more fun. Um, maybe not so much for us, but for the general public, to the customers. Yeah, that's great. So do you have orchards and stuff too then? Uh, my Yeah, my front yard's been turned into an orchard. A, a not very successful one yet, but there are trees mm -hmm. up there. I, uh, I, I planted it before I, I realized that certain trees don't do very well in my area. So now I have pretty trees. They don't do much, but... Um, 
yeah, we're going to reorganize that next year or two. Yeah. It's like, oh, this variety of apple does well. I'm in zone nine. This variety does well in zone nine. This variety needs zone seven because it's colder in the winter. Right. You know, uh, just those, you know, it never dawned on me that apples needed cold weather. Yeah. You know, it's just, yep, definitely. It just never crossed my mind. We got the coldest air of the season. I'll give you all an idea of, uh, of what it's like where I live. The average high in January is 61. The average low is like 47. 61 and 47? So, yeah, it snows like once every 13 years wow. down here. Our idea of, of winter is not quite the same as other places around the country, mm-hmm. further north. Even even two hours up the road, still in the state of Mississippi, you know, they, they get cold. They get snow. Mm-hmm. But sitting right here on the Gulf of Mexico, the, the water keeps us warm. Yep. Well, Padre, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks so, for Folks can contact you at Padre Homestead on Twitter or on your Substack, padre.substack.com. And your Homestead website is smith-homestead.com. Thank you for listening to the Thrive in the Future podcast. If you like what you hear, click that subscribe or follow button in your favorite podcast app. Check us out at thriveinthefuture.com and also follow us on social media at Thriving the Future on Twitter and at Thriving the Future on Instagram. And come and join our Telegram community by going to signup.thrivingthefuture.com. There's entry form there. It will send you an email with the Telegram community link. We have a new affiliate, the Smith Homestead. They have handmade soap and candles, handcrafted items. Perpin and I like the alpaca wool caps, hand knitted by Homestead Padre himself and lots more. If you use thriving as a coupon code at checkout, you get 10% off. That's the Smith Homestead. It's smith-homestead.com. So if you found value in our content, then show that value for value. Go and shoot Thrive in the Future, a gift on that tab in either Venmo or Cash App. You make a difference. Thank you.